to an amazing part of the Bible. If you turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, it's where we're going to be. But before we do that, it's been a great week around all peoples. This baptism bash was just wonderful. It was marked by something that was very powerful to me to see, and that was that so many of the people, as I talked to them, how they came to Christ was through someone else who had recently come to Christ here. And so just seeing people's life getting transformed and then immediately sharing it with friends or family members and, and just remarkable stories and then them getting baptized by the person that brought them, there's just nothing sweeter than seeing lives transformed for Jesus. Amen? And then um, the discipleship element which has been taking place here is, is so encouraging. We, the last series we did was a series called Discipleship Revolution. And I am continually hearing testimonies from people of all different ages, all different sectors of society who've started discipling people, people that are being discipled, people that are making disciples who are making disciples and are making disciples. And just one little statistical uh, quantitative uh, piece of encouragement for us is we've had around 1,000 people download our discipleship app. And so that's being used, and we are tremendously excited about that. I also Heard yesterday's Women's Day, the Flourish event was really exciting, and I heard that you women drank 35 gallons of coffee, which is scary, so put women and coffee in that much in the same room, I can't imagine how much chattering was going on, so <laughs> we've been talking about the bigness of God and his omnipotence, and I'm reminded of a story the late Brennan Manning, one of my favorite authors, tells of a Jewish businessman in New York that was visited by the Lord one evening. And this man had not lived a righteous life. He had been shrewd in his business dealings. And so he was quite concerned when God enters into his room. But the Lord in his graciousness looks at him and speaks to him and says, Son, you may ask me any questions that your heart desires. And so this New Yorker Jewish businessman said, Lord, Lord, is it true that to you 1,000 years is like one day? And the Lord said, yes, my son, that is true. And he said, so Lord, is it true that all the nations in the world and the thousands of territories, is, are they just like one drop in the bucket like your word says? And he says, yes, my son, that is also true. And he said, so Lord, let me get this straight. Am I understanding right that, Lord, one billion bucks is just like one little dollar to you? And the Lord said, yes, my son, you are starting to understand just how big I am. And he said, so, Lord, I just have one more question, if you will. Could I just have one of your little dollars? <laughs> it has nothing to do with this sermon today. <laughs> but if you turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, Starting in verse 1, it says this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? If you've been tracking with us in this series on Revelation, we've been talking about the glory and majesty of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the center of the universe being a throne room, and on the throne is God Almighty. 
And what we see as we move to this next set of chapters is that God Almighty in his throne room is holding a scroll in his hand. This scroll would have unparalleled importance to any work. I think we have a little picture of a scroll if you're not familiar with what scrolls look like. In this scroll has the unfolding of the end of time, God's plan to bring his kingdom to earth, to bring his purpose in creation to fulfillment, but also the title deed of the planet is in this scroll. And what happens is a mighty angel then steps up before the throne in a loud voice, says, who's worthy to break the seals and to open this scroll? Who is actually worthy? This scroll, we see, is sealed up. And the purpose of those seals is ownership. A seal is a stamp of ownership. And look what happens next in verse 3. It says, but no one in heaven or earth, or under the earth could open the scroll, or even look inside of it. No one is found worthy. No military commander on earth, no president, no politician, no king, no nobility, no no one is worthy. And then the search goes out in heaven. No angel, no living creature is found worthy. And so John, the writer of Revelation, he actually begins to weep. Why? Because he sees that the devastation and the tragedies that have gone on on earth for thousands of years will never stop. The earth will never be put in its rightful order. And so he is weeping because no one is found to open the scroll. And then one of the elders, verse 5, says this, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to to open the scroll and its seven seals. The elder says, look, though no one was worthy upon the earth, though no one is worthy of the angels in heaven, there is a lion, a lion, fierce, a lion, omnipotent, a lion ruling the king of beasts. He sees this. He's thinking there's a majestic lion that's coming forth in triumph. And so John, turning his eyes to see this lion, sees this. Verse 6, then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures. He's looking for a lion, and instead he sees a lamb. Could there be a more startling juxtaposition from a fierce majestic, strong lion to a meek and mild lamb. What does a lamb have to do with ruling and reigning the universe? What does a lamb have to do with being triumphant in battle, victorious, moving forward? What does a lamb that has been slain, not just any lamb, but a lamb that has been killed, that has had its throat slit, that is dying, a lamb that has been slain comes forward? It says the lamb, he is worthy. This lamb has everything to do with triumph. Everything to do with victory. As you study from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible, we understand that man, is entrenched in sin. He's afflicted with a terminal disease. The wages of sin is death, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
even in the garden, Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, chose sin, and they are relegated to the punishment of death, and all of creation is subjected to frustration, to decay, is what Scripture says. And so in order to pay for the sins of all people, the priests would come and kill a lamb, for every sin was a death, a lamb was slain until Jesus steps on the scene and John the Baptist who came before him said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came upon this earth and lived a faultless, sinless life. And when he died on the cross, the purpose was taking the sins of the world into his body so that we could be forgiven. He was the sacrificial lamb that was slain. If you don't know God today, you can never approach him because of your sin. It separates you from a holy, pure, and loving God. But the good news is, is Jesus came to bridge that gap between you and God. Although you could never enter in on your own merit, on your own good works, because even your good works are like filthy rags before the Lord, is what scripture says. Jesus died on the cross, taking our sins in his body on the cross. <clears throat> so that you could be forgiven. And when his blood was shed, we were washed white as snow. And so, the scripture goes on to say in verse seven, he went and took the scroll, this is Jesus, the lamb. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Imagine someone walking up to the king of kings, sitting on the throne, the king, and saying, I can actually take that from you. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. I bet they were like, you're bad. Wow. And they fall down before him in worship. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Jesus by dying on the cross, he was the perfect sinless lamb that was slain on our behalf, and he purchased sinners back from the enemy. We had become the possession of the enemy, sons of the evil one, the devil. He had rightful ownership over our lives, but when Jesus died, he paid the price. Perhaps you've seen the movie Narnia, when Edmund betrays his brothers, or his, his brother and sisters, he belongs to the white witch. He is her possession. And in order to get him back, Aslan, the lion, the Christ character, dies on his behalf. He purchased men, he purchased women back by being slain upon the cross. And therefore they say he's worthy. Then because of what you've done, you're worthy to take the scroll and set in motion the end times. We move to Revelation 6. And as we come there, we start seeing the unfolding of the end times. And 
I want to say, as we said in the beginning of this series, there's many, as many perspectives on the end times as there are churches in this world. But today I want to give you a brief overview of the four primary end time views that believers have had through the years. And I want you to put your student cap on for a minute because we're going to give an overall summary of that. I'm going to throw out some terms. There's only a few terms that you really need to wrap wrap your mind around. The first one is this. The first end times view that many people have in the body of Christ is called the preterist interpretation or the preterist view. That means past. What these people believe is that the majority of the book of Revelation has already happened with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and then some go on to say the, the uh, bringing down of the Roman Empire in the 5th century, that the judgments of the book of Revelation have already transpired, and it's brought forth a millennial reign, and Jesus will return at the end, and by the church's preaching and the, and the church's uh, influencing culture, we're bringing about a, a time of bliss upon the earth, millennial or millennium means 1,000 years, which is very important in end times theology. So basically, if I could just put one sentence around that, preterists believe that most of the book of Revelation has already happened. You see it up here. It's a little description. I brought my pointer. Yes, I'm enjoying being a teacher today. <clears throat> before 400 AD, or I'd even say many, the preterists and partial preterists, before 70 AD, they believe that the majority of the book has already happened. The second viewpoint to discuss is the historist school of theology. What these people believe is that the book of Revelation is unfolding throughout history from the time of Christ's ascent up until now. Different events have marked different ones of these chapters of the book of Revelation. This was very popular in the time of the Protestant Reformation because many of the reformers believed that the papal rule, the pope, was actually the Antichrist. And so they would look at different events from the last 2,000 years and say, this is when this happened, this is when this happened, this is what happened, this happened. So that would be the historicist or this historicism. The book of Revelation is being fulfilled throughout history currently. Now the next one, the futurist view. If the preterist view has been most popular among biblical scholars, the futurist view has been most popular with the masses. This comes from a, thank you so much, little throat coat. This comes from a school of thought uh, called premillennialism or dispensationalism. So as the preterist was post-millennial, return of Christ, this is pre-millennial that Jesus will return and then enact a thousand-year rule and reign. If you're a little unfamiliar with the terms, you're probably familiar with the movie Left Behind. Very popular in, in current culture. This is that view there. And then the last one is the idealist view. The idealist view would differ from the three Instead of putting a hard and fast timeline in the book of Revelation, the idealist view would say that the book of Revelation is actually applicable. It's more symbolic and it's applicable to people of every time and era. It more is symbolic, or they also call it the spiritualist view. It symbolizes the, the, the distinction between the good from the kingdom of heaven and evil from the kingdom of darkness. So I describe this, and some of you guys, your head is spinning and saying, huh? And some others of you are saying, 
So what is our all people's view? Like he's finally gonna tell us right now, some of you are a little anxious, some of you are nervous, am I gonna agree, what do I think, oh my goodness. So let me tell you very clearly what all peoples sees on this end times view. We are made up of people that believe all four of these different views. In this church, I've talked to people that have all four of these different views. And you go, how can this be? I mean, you read the Bible and how do you not have a specific view? I mean, isn't there an exact right view? Well, it's the same way that church fathers like Justin the Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian had one view of the millennium. And then on the other side, you have Origen and Eusebius and Augustine having the complete opposite view of the millennium. These great fathers, these men of God, these church statement opposing each other. For 2,000 years, the church has disagreed on how the end times unfold. And here's what we see. I've seen very little fruitfulness come out of all the debate on end times theology. But I've seen tremendous fruitfulness coming out of doing the work of the kingdom for that end time church. Let me just say that again. I see very little fruit coming from all the debate. In fact, I often see divisiveness coming. But I see tremendous fruit when a church gets locked in on its mantra, its primary calling of doing the work of the kingdom. This is what, this is what Augustine said. He said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity or love. Here's the essentials. There are essentials. We believe in absolute truth in this church. Here are the essentials. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, came in the flesh, living a sinful life, demonstrating the love of God to a dying and broken world, crucified on our behalf for the atonement of the sins of sinful man and woman, resurrected from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death, and coming again to rule and reign forever. Those are the essentials. And we stand with anyone who claims those essentials. But for hundreds, for centuries, for thousands of years, the church has been debating on an end time, perfect, nuanced view. Uh, Maybe I could explain it this way. Imagine that I have a, a terminal illness and I call my four children to me. I call Hallie, Hudson, Joshua, and John Mark, and I say, children, I am going to die soon. And I want you to draw near to me and I want you to take the values that I've tried to live out, the honor, the love, the servant's heart, and I want you to go into the world and influence with what I've taught you. And my kids go, okay, daddy. But then the next day, they go back to their schools, and, and, and Hallie thinks, you know, I think daddy's going to die immediately, and it's going to look awful. And she gathers as many of her friends in her school that she can into her little camp and say, we're the dad dying early looking awful club. <laughs> Hudson goes and says, you know what? I think when daddy says soon, he means in a long soon. And I don't think he's going to die for a long time. And so he goes and convinces all his friends, and they get the daddy dying in a long time club. 
And they start debating with Hallie's club. And they start bickering back and forth. And, and then Joshua goes, you know, I think daddy dying, I think that's a symbolic death. He's going to die to himself. I don't think it's ever going to really happen. And he builds a club. And so all of a sudden, they just start picking on each other. And their little clubs start bickering. Instead of going out and living the values that I've told them to and drawing near to me. But guys, for far too long, here's my challenge for us as a church. Here's my challenge for the church. We've spent more time being fascinated and longing to debate with everyone on the particular nuance that we have than being fascinated with the person of Jesus Christ and longing to bring as many people to him as possible. We've spent more time wanting to be entertained and, and understanding exactly how Jesus is going to judge the nations, then we have had a broken heart for the lost and dying in the nations. And we've wanted more to, to, to debate and sit in our little rooms and have our little coffee and do our little study than we wanted to be out bringing as many people from those nations to Jesus. And it's time for us to get about our work. You see, there, there, there's two works in the end times, as we study this book of Revelation, there is the concluding of life on earth as we know it, and that work belongs to God. And then there is the preaching of the gospel and praying in the kingdom of God, and that work belongs to the church. So here is what I would call us at All People's Church. I would call us not preterists, not futurists, not historicists. I would call us hopeful great commissionists. <laughs> hopeful great commissionists. What do I mean by that? We're hopeful because we look at Jesus and we are in awe of his splendor and majesty and say, you're so good and your plans are so wonderful. I'm so hopeful. And it would be great commissionists because we would think that our job isn't figuring out the times or dates. He actually said that wasn't our job. It's not for you to know the times or dates, but you'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's our job. And I'm really excited about that if you can't tell. <laughs> so in that context, let's move on to Revelation 6 as this scroll is open says this in verse 1, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals, and then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice, like thunder, come. The seal is open by the lamb. The, the seal, the ownership, it's open by the lamb. And, and what you have to understand is seven seals are going to be open, but towards the end of it, what you're going to see is this great harvest from the 12 tribes of Israel, this 144,000 coming from the tribes of Israel, and then you're going to see a multitude that no one can count from every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue gathered around the throne. You have to understand that the end goal of the Lord is the salvation of people. That's the end goal here. That's what's in his heart. That is what his heart is beating for. And in fact, the seventh seal, when you read it, it's open. There's silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then verse 3 of chapter 8 says, Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. 
he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. And the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hands. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. Once again, God's work is to unfold history. Our work is to petition him and to partner with him so as many people as possible can be around the throne. So let's walk through these seals really quickly one by one. Revelation 6, 2 says this, I looked and there before me was a white horse, its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Some people think that this is Jesus. I don't believe it It is because it's Jesus, the lamb, calling him forward, and then Jesus will be there for the second seal as well. Many people, many scholars believe this is actually the Antichrist masquerading as an angel of light, masquerading in light. What we do know is it comes out to conquer the earth. Verse 4 says this. It's another one. When the angel opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come, and then another horse came out, a fiery red one, red, the symbol of blood. A fiery red one, its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. This is an awful time upon the earth where people are actually killing each other. Verse 6 says this, the angel comes, there's a third seal that's opened by the Lamb. And it says, then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages. This is economic disparity. This is economic crisis where what you need to live on for a day costs your whole day's wages. Verse 8, the fourth seal, I looked in there before me, was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades following close behind them. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and the wild beasts of the earth. What we're seeing is God lifting his hand and the earth starting to enact with evil unconstrained. Unrestrained evil is going forth on the earth. And then what we see next is this, verse 9. When, we opened, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? I remember reading this for years, just going, gosh, what would that look like, the martyrs under the throne? But now in this, this past year, Joel, can you grab that? Thank you. In this past year, these martyrs under the throne, everyone's looking distracted. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are on the throne and you are bigger than the doors of this auditorium. <laughs> and you've sent big guys to check out what's going on. These martyrs, you know, many of us saw for the first time this picture, this awful picture that went out on, on many news mediums of these Egyptian Christians that were not denying Jesus and behind them they're ISIS executioners. 
You know, you see that, these people just about to be killed for their faith and your heart is grieved. I remember the same month I was sent an email from a missionary in Burma and it showed these graphic pictures and told a horrible story of some young Asian missionaries who'd been raped and martyred sharing the gospel to tribes in Burma. And, I, and, and for the next few days, I was just grieved. I couldn't get the image out of my head. I was in pain in my heart, and I could, I could understand this prayer. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? People dying for standing with Jesus, living a life of love, and they are killed because of the anger of the evil one. You know, maybe I can illustrate this, this story with a message I shared at my grandpa's funeral. I actually shared a, a story of him being angry. I think, what a, what a strange thing to eulogize a, a great man at their funeral. But maybe you'll understand as I, as I share this event from my life. I was staying with my grandpa and grandma as my parents were were gone for the weekend, and so he took me to my soccer game in which I was playing goalie, and it was a particularly aggressive game, and the other team was actually pretty nasty in, in their fouling of us, and the ref was watching it, but not doing anything about it, and so it happened that there was a fast break, a forward was coming to me all alone, I ran up, I dove for the ball, and I took a foot across my abdomen, knocked the air out of me, I thought it probably had broken my ribs, and I don't know if you've ever had the air knocked out of you to where you're gasping, but you can't get your next breath. It's a very scary feeling. Well, the ref saw me. I'm huddled over on the ground, hunched in a, in a little ball, and he says, play on. Well, all of a sudden, the parents on our side are yelling, they're screaming at the ref, stop the game, stop the game. He looks at them with an icy glare and says, play on. And so, you know, my teammates are looking at me, but they have to play or we're going to lose the game. So they keep playing. There's an uproar on, on the field. Even the other side, parents are going, what's happening? And at that moment, my grandfather had had enough. 6'5", 250 pounds, wearing massive Texas cowboy boots and a 10-gallon hat. He runs out on the field the little angry ref gets in between me and my grandfather. And my grandfather says, get out of the way. That's my grandson. And puts his massive hand in his face. That ref went, okay. <laughs> Move like that. And here with fear in my eyes, still trying to gasp for a breath, my huge grandfather comes bounding out on the field and with his massive arms lifts me up like a little baby and carries me off the field. I think that's a picture of God's heart, that there is finally a time where he says enough is enough. It's right to judge evil. It's right for the good, loving Father to step in. The sixth seal, it opens, and it says this in verse 12. There's a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky began to fall as figs drop from a fig tree and the heavens receded like a scroll and the mountains and islands were removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. No longer can the rich, no longer can the powerful hide because there has been a stepping in 
of God. But watch what happens next. It's absolutely beautiful because he speaks, the lamb speaks, and it says this, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees. This is chapter seven, verse three, until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. And then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. That seal, remember we talked about a seal. A seal symbolizes ownership. God coming and sealing his people. I believe it's clear from the book of Revelation there'll be this great end time harvest of God's people, the Jews. And he seals them and draws them near. But then watch what happens next. Revelation 7, 9, a very important passage to us as a church. It says this, after this I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Throughout the years, sharing the message of the gospel, telling people that it's our duty to go out and tell people about the cross of Christ. Throughout the years of doing missions work, I've, I've had people at different times want to come and refute us saying, how is it fair, if God is loving, how is it fair that people in other countries have to turn to Jesus? They have their own religions. They weren't born in a Christian country like the United States. I don't know if you can call that, call us a Christian country anymore. But they'll say, they, they, they don't have a Christian background. I want to say that this scripture right here is the death blow to that argument because before the Lamb are people from every nation, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue. The heart of Jesus is for everyone to come to know him. And in fact, the Bible shows that the ends will not be completed until there are people from every nation, from every kindred, from every tribe, from every tongue, until they are there, before, until there are people standing from every one of these groups, the end will not come. Matthew 24, 14 says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know that the lamb longs for people from every nation? But not just that, from every kindred, from every tribe, every little tribe, not just massive nations, but every single tribe, and not just every tribe, but every tongue, every dialect, there will be people from every single one of those. That's thousands gathered around the throne. And John is looking at these people, and he's saying, who is this? And verse 14 says, these are they who've come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Whether you're pre-trib or post-trib, or what's clear is this, is that God protects his people. And that he's calling out a bride from every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. 
because of what he did on the cross. He was the lamb. Jesus was the lamb that was slain. That if anyone would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, if they believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved and they will spend eternity before him. And so the question comes to us. Are you confident that you will be before the Lamb on his throne? Are you confident that you will be counted as one of his people? It's not by your good works. It's not by how great a person you were or your achievements on earth. It is because you understood that you could not save yourself and you confess that Jesus is Lord and you realize it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not any works, lest someone should boast. Have you given your life to Jesus? And secondly, if you have, are you living in light of the understanding that it's a lamb on the throne? And that it's all about him and that our job in the end time view is to get as many people before him as possible. Is your heart broken for your family members who don't know Christ? Is your heart grieved for your neighbors who are living a life without the hope of Jesus? Is your life being torn apart by the millions and millions who are headed towards a Christless eternity? When we have the promise of spending forever in the presence of a ruling lamb. Where are you today? Why don't you stand up with me as we finish our time. Would you just close your eyes with me? Every week, different ones are finding a real friendship with God. Today, that question comes to you, are you sure that you'll spend eternity before the Lamb, before Jesus? Oh, he loves you so much. He wants to draw you near. God wants to bring you near to himself. But you can't come in your own strength. You can't come in your own works. It's only by what his son Jesus did, dying on the cross for you. The cross is the bridge to God. And today, if you're saying, I want to nail that down, I want to have a friendship with God, I want to know that my sins are forgiven, I want to know that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus, I want you to pray with me right now. You can just pray a simple prayer. Just pray it right after me. Say, Jesus come into my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And give me a new life. And right now, as different ones are praying that I want to pray for you. If you say, yeah, pastor, today I, I, I'm praying that. I'm, 
I'm committing my life to Jesus. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I want everyone to keep their eyes closed and their heads bowed. But if that's you, I do wanna pray over you right now. So if that's you, you're saying, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Will you just look up at me right now and wave? Just look up and wave at me. Great. Who else? Awesome. Who else? Awesome. Awesome. Seeing hands go up all over. Just wave at me. Let me see you. Just wave at me if I haven't seen you yet. Awesome. Oh, man, tons of hands. Lord, I pray over these friends. Let them have confidence that they are forever sealed by you, that they'll spend eternity in your presence, that you're not going to hold their sins against them, that today is the day of their salvation, and they are a new creation in Christ's church. Let's just celebrate what God is doing right now. Let's just thank God for all these different ones. Now, for the rest of us, would you just ask the Lord right now to put on your heart different ones that don't know Jesus? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's people from a different country. And would you just, in your own heart, the privacy of your heart, would you just start praying for those people right now? We know from the book of Revelation that what we've been studying is God takes those prayers in heaven and then he sends them with fire back on the earth to fulfill his purposes. Will you just start praying right now for different friends and family members, for different neighbors and coworkers, for different people from different nations, for them to come to know what our friends are experiencing in this room today. Let God burden your heart with that, church. And while you're doing that prayer team, if you come forward right now, prayer team, come forward quickly. If today you're giving your life to Jesus and all these different hands going up, we want to give you one of these free books down front. They're right here. We want to put one in your hand and give you a free book to talk more about the love of Jesus and what he wants to do in your life. If you need a physical healing today, we'd like to pray for you. Jesus laid hands on the sick and they were made well. If you need a breakthrough, maybe it's a relational problem, a financial problem, psychological problem. I don't know what it is, but Jesus wants to touch you. Jesus wants to make a difference in your life. If you need prayer, you just start coming forward. Stephen's going to lead us in one last song. The altars are open. You come forward. If you're giving your life to Jesus, if you need prayer, we want to pray for you in these last few minutes. Oh, no,